Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about purchase apps and mortgage rates and answer a listener's question about a potential housing crash. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah, and I do have to wish you a very happy birthday. So happy birthday to (laughs) you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sarah Wheeler. Happy birthday to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's so nice. What To be serenaded by our lead analyst. Amazing. Thank you so much. And what oh better gosh, day you to- your hand when you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I'm doing all sorts of things I'm not supposed to. Um, so purchase applications today. What do you make of it? Okay. Now we have um, five weeks of data working from uh, lower mortgage rates right now. Um, the recent peak was about 7.375. Uh, mortgage rates got near you know, 6%. So what do we see in the data? Because I think the uh, mortgage purchase application data is, is, is sometimes a very easy data line to read, but it can, if you don't do some major adjustments, uh, it could be complicated as well. So first and foremost, um, a big talking point of mine for the past few months is that when we get into October of this year, the year-over-year comps are going to be really challenging. Um, traditionally, purchase application data rise between the second week of January to the first week of May, and then after May, total volumes fall. That didn't happen last year. Volumes actually increased. So the year-over-year declines should be between 35 to 45% October, November, December, going into January. Um, since October, the year-over-year declines have been 39 to 46% every week. So we've been in that range out there. The most recent uh, biggest year-over-year decline was a few weeks ago at 46% year-over-year decline. So uh, one of the talking points I've had is that if things were actually getting weaker from this point, adjusting to the comps, we should see year-over-year declines between 53 to 57%. Sounds crazy, but you make those adjustments, you can get there. But mortgage rates started to fall noticeably after last month's CPI report, which is coming out next week, uh, the new one. And what it's done is basically just stabilize the data. So we need this in context. Um, We had a waterfall dive uh, in the data line. So we bounced off the bottom. Uh, The weekly print actually had a negative 3% week to week, but four of the last five weeks have been positive. And just because of that now, We've, we have a floor right here in the purchase application data. And the reason this is important is that purchase application data looks out 30 to 90 days, right? It isn't one of these things where you, you know, put up an application and then 10 days later, your home is bought and sold. No. So it's 30 to 90 days. So this won't probably show up in the uh, existing home sales report until uh, January and February, which means February and March, the those months, those those are the days where we get the reports that are backward looking. So as long as we hold this ground, we have something to work with, right? And another talking point is that mortgage, uh, if mortgage rates can get down toward five percent and stay there with duration, 
We saw buyers come back then. It just didn't stay uh, down at 5% very long. That's when the Fed freaked out and said, we need to destroy the economy and everything and housing has to go to a big recession. And, uh, um, and you know, rates just shot up towards 7%. So that's where we are right now, now that we have uh, five weeks of data to work with lower mortgage rates. So, you know, you talk about a waterfall dive and there has been a waterfall dive in, in several different data lines. So purchase application data, yes, but also in um, existing home sales data. So the key to that is listings data. So how, you know, when you talk about uh, mortgage rates getting in the fives right now, they are in the sixes. Is sixes enough to get more inventory? No, uh, inventory. You know, this is a this is such an interesting uh, topic now. Uh, seasonality is kicking in now with inventory. So inventory data is falling. It's not because demand is getting better or anything like that. It's just the seasonal uh, fall of inventory. Um, what's occurred right now, and just imagine everyone listening to this. If you went into a coma in 2019 and you woke up today, and the first thing the doctor shows you are two housing charts. That would never happen, except hopefully it happened to me. Um, and then it's the total inventory data. And then it's the monthly supply data for the existing home market. And you had no context of what was going on in the economy or the housing market. Your first inclination would be, wow, housing must be doing great. And that isn't correct, right? Uh, because for me, it's like I want to get people back toward housing 2018 and 19. I think that's the good uh, a starting point because when rates went up, demand fell. Uh, inventory didn't really budge that much back then, except for the new home sale market. But you can have falling demand and not have inventory sky skyrocket. And 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 one of the key things that I've tried to um, convince people on that I think we forgot the core fundamentals of how housing works. A traditional seller is a buyer of a home. So what happened at the end of June is that new listings data started to decline uh, earlier and faster than normal. And that's a problem for housing. It's not just the inventory isn't there, it's the demand isn't there. So not only do you have uh, the hit to first-time home buyers that were, let's say, renters that are looking to buy, because of the higher rates with home prices being savagely unhealthy since 2020, you also lose that kind of move up or move down buyer, right? Uh, uh, and when you put those together, you could really see that the purchase application data and the existing home sales all took a waterfall dive. And after June, it just became uh, very evident everywhere. So when you lose that move up, move down buyer, it's just another hit to demand. Now, if rates fall, and more people list their own. Like what I'm hoping for for 2023 is that we do not see negative year-over-year -year data in new listings. I mean, new listings data right now is negative six percent year to date. So uh, um, again, different marketplace. And you know, on Twitter every single Wednesday, I, I do a, a Twitter thread on purchase application data, and it's not. Um, it's, it's basically uh, to show you kind of the trend data and where it goes with housing data. And the inventory data looks confusing to people. But if you think about what happened from 2005, 6, and 7, and 8, we had a waterfall dive in demand and we had a super spike in inventory. And those are forced credit sellers that can't buy a house. So it's just a totally different marketplace, right? Those people were, in the sense, selling to be homeless, right? Or renting or living with a, a roommate or whatever it is. It's not this marketplace. That explains why 
total inventory, data today, NAR, if we're going to use it at 1.22 million, is below the levels in 1985, 1996, 2000, 2005, 2008, 2012, 15, and 2019, because the homeowner is in a very good spot. So they can choose when they need to sell or buy or anything and they matter. And they, as a, as a marketplace, chose to decline to list their homes when mortgage rates went up to six and a quarter percent, even when mortgage rates fell back down to 5%, that didn't happen. And some of that is just a seasonal impact of housing, right? You know, people tend to move in the spring and summer and, 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 you know, it just, the rates shot up so much so fast, it kind of messed things up. So hopefully new listings data grows next year and we start to get back into some kind of functioning housing market and we can get total inventory back to 2019 levels, which is perfectly fine for me. Uh, um, we just couldn't do that this year. So this is my question because I I feel like because we have had uh, mortgage rates in the sevens, then fives feels like really great. So is that going to spur that person who wants to sell, but is then going to be a natural buyer to say, yeah, I can do this? You have to go with what the market data tells you. Now, you know, five weeks ago, if Somebody said, well, mortgage rates could go from 7.375 to 6.375. A lot of people would say that wouldn't do anything to the data. Well, it actually did. Uh, uh, it, it stopped the bleeding. What you need to see if you're going to think that uh, mortgage rates getting down to 5%, because when we saw rates get down to 5%, we actually saw buyers in the data. It just came a little bit later uh, uh, in the data lines. So if it does create more buyers, the year-over-year declines because we're working from extreme lows should get less and less. This is kind of what happened with COVID. Uh, the We had this big waterfall dive in demand. Purchase application data was down 35%. And then the re- data started to rebound, right? We had less, you know, it was, it was 28% declines, 25% declines, 19, 15, 8, 7. The data will let you know, right? Because this is, a, again, a forward-looking indicator. This is not a backwards or weekly. It's looking out 30 to 90 days. So if the year-over-year decline is less, that means there's buyers in there. So what we've seen already is that more people have come in. Context is critical. We're working from a very low bar. Eventually, if things get better, that low bar will be lost. But for now, it's just stop the bleeding, and we bounced off the lows. So you, you've said if we get you know lower rates and there's with duration, what does duration mean? Is that a month? Is that two months? How how low does that have? I mean, how long does that have to go? Oh, we're, we are we are we are talking. Yeah, we are we are talking about you know six to eight months at least toward those areas, right? Uh, uh, if it goes below five percent, that's a different different conversation altogether. I mean, traditionally, what's happened in the previous expansion. Uh, is that housing got a lot better when mortgage rates got toward 4% and under. And we saw that after the uh, decline in demand after 2013-14. And then we saw that in 2018-19, where mortgage rates get below 4% and it it rebounds housing. We're not in that kind of marketplace or rates aren't going to get back there. The the first thing is stabilize the data. And that's going to be toward 5% with duration should stabilize data, as we've seen some of the stabilization factors already just going from 7.375 to six and a quarter right now. So the big question is, as always, Logan, do you see mortgage rates going into the fives anytime soon or even lower? Where are we going with mortgage rates? Well, the downtrend in the bond market is still intact. Uh, I think we have a really 
interesting uh, week coming up. Next week, the CPI report uh, uh, is here. If that comes in weaker than expected, uh, we're going to have a five handle on mortgage rates. Uh, if it comes stronger, you could see a, a kind of a, a short-term bounce higher uh, with rates. They're starting to become a more uh, bigger understanding that the uh, uh, shelter inflation that uh, uh, is being held up by CPI is actually falling now uh, uh, more noticeably on the recent data. I think that's such a key thing because there's a bunch of geeky nerds like us on Twitter finance uh, that are all trying to talk about this, that the CPI data lags and the criticism about the Federal Reserve, especially for me, is that they're old and slow. And you cannot be old and slow in this data line anymore, right? Because because we have more current information, just like it was actually getting stronger in the uh, previous, uh, 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 you know, when, when when shelter inflation was falling down, it was rebounding faster. It's the it's the opposite now. So uh, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see what the reaction is to the CPI data, if it just comes in as expected or higher or lower, because without shelter inflation, uh, uh, you know, staying high and elevated, it is extremely difficult for core CPI to stay up this high anymore because 42.2% of uh, uh, CPI is weighted out for uh, shelter inflation and almost 25% of that is rent. So uh, you have room to the downside. And again, for me, it's the Fed needs to learn to relax, right? If the stock market rallies, don't freak out. If the bond market rallies, you know, don't freak out. We're in a much different spot today. This is my my talking point for the, you know, toward the end of 2022. We are in a much different spot with Fed rate hikes and inflationary data than we are last year at this time, right? A uh, good example is the cost to ship, you know, stuff from Shanghai to the West Coast ports back to pre-COVID levels, right? There are There are data lines that are noticeably getting cooler now. And over time, you know, uh, you don't have to like destroy the economy to, to destroy inflation. You have to endure some moments and let the supply catch up uh, uh, out there and then take it from, from there. The one sector of the economy that is in a recession is the housing market when it's a recession in June. So your uh, uh, multiple bids are dying away, right? You, you, you're, you're, doing the, you're doing the work that you needed to do to get the inventory up high enough and rates high enough so you could kill the multiple biddings. That's what the Federal Reserve wanted, right? I'm totally on team higher rates here. I was totally in on that. But you don't have to put, you know, the economy into such distress where people are going to lose their jobs just to make uh, inflationary data hopefully go down. So hopefully, I'm hoping that the Fed is, again, talking tough just to get financial conditions tighter, even though they're easing right now. We're not seeing the pushback like we used to. Like, so I'm thinking, okay, they're getting it now. And then we can maybe, maybe, avoid that recession, right? And that article I wrote for Housing Wire recently, I, I highlight what needs to occur. And then, you know, stabilize the data from the housing market is the first thing. And that'll be a positive for, for everyone uh, in the industry and for the U.S. economy. So obviously, the Fed is a huge, you know, component here, a huge factor. But you've also written about the fact that the market could do an end run around the Fed. Like, even if the Fed isn't doing it, the market could get ahead of the Fed and rates could go lower because of what's happening there. Do we see that happening at all? It's already happening. I mean, the Fed has already said, listen, we want the Fed funds rate at 5%. So, okay, some some people see that as, okay, well, the 10-year yield has to be, be at 5%. I don't think that's the most correct way to look at it. But 
the bond yields since that CPI report uh, came in lower has gone noticeably lower now. I think we're under 3.45% uh, right now the last time I checked. One of the things that isn't happening anymore is that the dollar isn't getting stronger, right? So that last push up in rates from six and a half to 7.37, the dollar was creating so much havoc around the world. Treasuries had to be sold to raise, I mean, there was just too much drama. That has changed. This is something that I've talked about a lot on social media, especially if you, those of you who follow me on Instagram stories, you know, I'm trying to show the correlation here. The dollar getting weaker is a good thing for everyone, especially the Bank of Japan, um, especially for England as well. Uh, so that right now, we're just, you know, taking that move off the grid uh, currently. Um, I know a lot of people, again, if you're part of the 8 to 10% mortgage rate camp, you have to be part of the, the U.S. economy is booming and inflation is going to really take off and then it stays there for a long time. We are almost with a five handle in mortgage rates. It's not that far from Christmas, right? So bond yields are coming lower. We'll see how the how it acts to the CPI report, but the Federal Reserve is the bond market's calling them out on it. Yeah, we see some of this stuff. We don't think we don't think it's uh, 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 the wage spiral. Things are out of control. Or the 1975. Remember, we are sitting here today in December of 2022. The 10-year yield is at 3.45 percent. We just had the hottest inflationary data in decades. We came off the fastest recovery ever. The 10-year yield is still at 3.45%. There's no more QE anymore, quantitative easing. The balance sheet is being reduced, right? We were told that 10-year yields could get 9, 10, 11%. Mortgage rates up if all these things would come into play. They have come into play. We're sitting here in December with a 3.45% 10-year yield with the growth rate of inflationary falling. And for myself, my six recession red flags are up on August. These things matter in context. And this is now the, I think, the 19th time we are, it, you know, QE ending and uh, uh, the balance sheet reduction. It has not created the vertical spike in the 10-year yield of mortgage rates that people have been talking about. And we have just another year here, right? Uh, if the dollar got super strong again, right, creates more havoc, there's your market, you know, event that is uh, that is creating bond yields to be sold off. But as of now, so far, bond yields are just rechasing back. The Fed isn't freaking out. The Fed freaks out again, whatever. I mean, but it's just, they don't need to do this anymore, right? Don't be old and slow. Think forward, right? You don't need to have a job loss recession to have inflation really go down, right? Give it time. Let it take its course. Uh, uh, things should get better on that front. If it doesn't happen, if Inflation reaccelerates or stuff like that. Then, of course, you you do what you believe you need to do to stabilize prices because that's your job. Totally get that. But again, we are in a different spot today than we were one year ago. Okay. Well, now I have a question from one of our listeners who wanted to ask you ahead of your once per year forecast, which is coming up at the end of December slash early January. Your economic forecast. If something that um. A professor wrote uh, on Market Watch. Uh, it was an article called "High Debts and Stagflation Have Set the Stage for the Mother of All Financial Crises," um, and see if you what your thoughts were on that, and if it would have any bearing on your forecast. So, would love to hand that to you because I can imagine that you have some thoughts there. Rubini is called Doctor Doom for a reason, and I've always said that 
when you when you talk about economics, it should never be about the person. It should be about the models. And, you know, I think the gentleman was asking a question, why won't it be 2008? Um, Sarah, if I ever become, because I'm getting to my old man Logan stage, if I ever become one of these angry, totally depressed, doom and gloom baby boomers, you take me out. Okay. I'm just, there's just something <laughs> about older men from the East Coast that are tied to Wall Street that are just the doom and gloom end of the world people. It's a genetic code in them that as age goes by, they more become in line with who they are. To have a 2008 housing episode, again, we believe in economic models. Models should be the handwriting of God, whatever you, you have to guide people in. Sales are already trending to where 2007 levels are. Purchase application data is already below 2008 levels. What you don't have are positive, educated, normal human beings, American citizens, people who are having sex, who are going to work, who have kids. They're not foreclosing on their homes before the job loss recession happened. That was always in the data. So we believe, again, as always, the, the history of human civilization has taught us that those people who don't read, right, those people who believe in burning books instead of reading them, it doesn't work well for them in terms of gaining knowledge. So 2005, 6, 7, and 8, we saw an increase in foreclosures, bankruptcies, credit stress, right? All before the job loss recession happened. We are already at sales declining levels with none of that happening. 30 days and 90 day delinquencies are at all time lows. Foreclosure data, if it's increasing, it's only increasing because you know, we, we restarted the process of working from all-time lows. I know some somebody said, oh, 700% foreclosures. No, we believe in reading. We believe that the human being that is functional, that could see this, right? Second grade education, visual C. We should have already seen the data or the credit stress happen already if it was 2008. So it isn't. What you're going to have is if you have a job loss recession, the people that bought their homes late in a cycle that have no selling equity are at foreclosure risk. This is one of the reasons why I criticize the 100% neighborhood financing. I mean, the Federal Reserve is telling you, we want a job loss recession. Well, you're putting these people at risk, right? But it, it, it can't go back to 2008. It can never go back. I know this is like some people's fantasy. Like they can't, like the doom and gloom, the, the, the truly the darkest trolls we've ever had in this country, whether it's here in America or in Russia. You can't have this happen again because why the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 QM laws have taken those debt structures off the grid, right? Whether, okay, well, there's bank statements. No, the arm loans. No, there is nothing like those products in the system anymore. People were losing their homes before the job loss was happening, right? Recast rates, all those things, they're gone. Uh, people forget this, but a lot of the delinquencies in the data were cash out refinance people. Why? Because the cash out loans had an exotic loan debt structure to it, a debt on debt transfer. Like we have this in data. None of it is here. If you truly believe this was going to be the case, just wait for the data to get there first. But you can't consistently, if you're telling me you're a functioning human being, to sit there and say, well, it's 2008 again, when the data doesn't support it, right? That is the general bias of the darkest, craziest, bearish American citizens 
who are all one group of people, the anti-central bank movement. You can spank some MMT people in there as well, but this is who they are. Rubini. <laughs> oh God, I could list off there. There's tons of them. They're all bearish. I mean, Larry Summers is like the Sith Lord right now. You know, oh, well, it's excess savings will uh, fall out. Uh, then all of a sudden we'll have a waterfall dive in retail sales. The only time we've ever had a waterfall dive in retail sales is literally COVID and the aftermaths of the credit uh, busting. Okay, so I, I, I'm, I'm imploring you people, be careful of older men from Wall Street. Right. I, I've seen this for the last 12 years. There's something about this group that as they get older and older, they just get so bearish. And a lot of this is this some hatred for the Federal Reserve or the government or the, uh, the stock market, the capitalists, whatever it is. Let the data tell you where things are going. Forget the individual person like me. Don't don't ever think about Logan Motoshami ever. You think about the data first. I am just a human transmitting the data to you. Right, the data will get you there. The forward-looking data. So let's wait until we see a similar type of credit collapse in the system in the consumer data. Right, my all my six recession red flags were up in 2006. You all know me now. Imagine what my talking points would be if we're here. Look at the stress data. Look at the debt structures. That's over with. You have to let this go. You people have to move on from 2008. Right. Prices declining is not 2008. 2008 was a credit bubble, a credit burst, third-party risks. The systems were broken, right? It's not that. We're still at an economy that's expanding, right? We're trying to cool down inflation, but the consumer balance sheets are good for a reason. We fixed that problem. So you're just going to have to move on. I think, you know, it's interesting. One point I would make is, yes, you know, potentially old men. Um, there, there are some women that I can think of in the financial <laughs> who, who are on uh, uh, financial shows who are also of this camp. Um, and one of the reasons that we talk about it and I ask you about it is because we get these questions all the time. We get them all the time. People are confused. They are confused because what, what has the history of America been since 1790? That every decade, every century, every economic cycle, we've always had bearish American and foreign citizens that have always said, oh, the great collapse is coming. We have people that compare us to the Roman Empire, an empire that had to deal with plagues and the Huns invading it. They're crazy. They've always been crazy. Why, my, my whole thing is all American bears have failed since 1790 for a reason. Right. Back then, things were really crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, man, we you, people think it's it's hard now. Think about how life used to be, especially in the 1800s. Right. We had panics and crazy attacks. I mean, it's just. as like I said, soft. Right. There's nothing else to say. I've always said the extreme left and extreme right, soft crybabies, missed the longest economic expansion like Rubini has missed the COVID-19 recovery. And because they believe in their sociological belief of what the economy should be worldwide. And yet, if you can't forecast or model it, you've got to be careful to listen to people. You know, and I think, um, you know, like like people ask me, this is a reference to the question, well, should I buy a house? And I'm going to say this over and over again until the day I die. If you're asking me if you should buy a house. You should not only not buy the house, 
you should never buy a house, right? Because you as an adult should never <laughs> ask another human oh being gosh. if you should buy a home, right? It should never work out that way. You yourself as an adult, you're not a child anymore. You're not a teenager. You're not living in your roommates in college. You know your finances better than anyone, right? You're just buying a fixed payment. If you are stressing out, no, you should always rent. There's nothing wrong with renting. If something goes wrong in the house, you know, if your bathroom isn't working, your landlord will come and fix and, you know, plunge the toilet or whatever. But you have to take responsibility for your own self. Don't ask anybody else. It's just a fixed payment. You and your family, you, you have all the information for that. Okay. So in, in this case, right, the only risk I would say is like people that are getting like 100% financing that are like not doing very good financially, but we're able to qualify. Those people are generally what? Late cycle lending risk, right? That's what we, that's how we traditionally look at uh, residential cycles. Late cycle lending risk is always a legitimate thing, but it is not 2008 because the credit data, if it was 2008, 2005, six, we should see four years, four years, people. Let's say this after the cheap seats. You should see four years of credit deterioration as we saw back then. Not happening, right? We fixed that problem. This is one of the reasons why I don't think you could ever have a housing boom or a sales boom or a credit boom. We just don't have that kind of system here in America. It's basically a very liberal lending standards, but you have to be able to own the debt, the capacity to own the debt. And without exotic loan debt structures, we should not see what we saw from 2002 to 2005, which that was the FOMO credit market, not there anymore. So just, you got to just let it go, right? Some don't follow these old men to death. I promise you this. When life passes by, hopefully they live a long life, they will literally walk in the dark abyss. No ears, no eyes, no tongues, screaming about the Fed's balance sheet until, until forever. And there is <laughs> nothing for, there is no gold God waiting for them. It is over, right? So think being young, being middle-aged, but don't follow these boomers to the end, right? You can see this. I Yes, I appreciate this perspective. And truthfully, I mean, just being real here, like this is one of the reasons, Logan, that we wanted you to be our lead analyst is you do not have a dog in this fight. So for instance, the um, the listener who asked about Professor Rubini's take was like, I understand that he's essentially a perma bear. And really like being a perma anything means that you have an ideological take and you have a dog in this fight. And, you know, an economic interest in seeing, uh, in putting out information one way or the other. In this case, you are following data and it doesn't, it isn't driven by an ideological take that you have. If, if it looks like things are going down, you're going to say it. If it looks like things are going up, you're going to say it. And I think that that's really important. And one of the reasons we wanted you to be our lead analyst. If somebody has an economic model, they can never be a perma anything. You know, my, my, you know, people will tell me, well, you're very pro-America. You go, Damn right, I'm very pro-America. I've got data for since 1790 to prove it. But economic cycles come and go. Like my six recession red flags are up. You know, I've highlighted this to people. I've even gone, talked to DC firms about this. This is how it's worked always post-World War II, right? Because the model itself is your handwriting, right? It's, it's the mask you wear. You know, if I'm doing my job right, the listeners here know what I'm going to say, right? It should be consistent and repetitive, right? That's It's boring to do economics that way. I get it. But guess what? Economics done right should be boring. It's not designed to be this sexy summer flick about crash and burn and doom and gloom and rebound or anything like that. 
Economics done right should be born. It should be done with models. You could forecast or look forward, look backwards. You then work with variables that come into the equation like COVID-19, right? We had to write a COVID-19 recovery model on April 7th, 2020. Not a normal event, but it happens. But what we do see is that the credit channels here do not look like 2008. So it has to be something else, right? Like we would not have gone into a recession if we didn't have a global pandemic. That's true, right? So we adjust to that, but with credit data, we'll see it, right? We'll see the foreclosures and bankruptcies increase. It just doesn't happen very quickly, right? And go with that, go with the data. Human beings, right, can lie and, and overhype or, or underhype something all the time, but numbers can't. Numbers cannot lie, right? They're just a trend direction to a certain level. And there's a lot of people who have just used this doom and gloom just to generate a popularity. And trust me, it works, right? I know it works. But if I ever become like that, then every single one of you should stop listening to me, right? I became the troll, not the detective. I am no value to you whatsoever. That would be a sad day. Well, Logan, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for my birthday serenade. And thank you to our uh, listeners. And if you guys want to send in a question for Logan to answer, you can always email me at sarah at hwmedia.com and we will pick and choose and, and might talk about it on the air. Logan, thanks again. It is my pleasure to be here. Enjoy your birthday, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.